Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Won't you join us as we worship this morning? coming out. For those that's online, for tithing, go to uh, bridge, www.bridge.com and go to give. There's boxes back here for anybody that's new with us today, which I don't know if we got anybody, but there's boxes, tithing boxes back here. You can tithe there. Anybody got any prayer requests or any praise requests or praise, praise thing? Uh, just a reminder, 
table. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Most definitely. Most definitely. All right. Yeah, we're going to remember Mr. Roy's in the hospital. His uh, blood sugar went up, and uh, they've been trying to get it down for what I'm understanding, but they ain't been able to do that. So let's keep him in our prayers. Uh, Miss Sheila and Jean, let's keep them in our prayers also. Pastor Frank and his wife, uh, Miss June, and let's keep them in our prayers also. Anybody else? Got anything they want to? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Joel's he's he's not with us today. Keep him in our prayers. And it's refreshing for uh talking with Lori before uh service uh worship started at uh Francesca Sanchez himself and Joel. Okay. Come alongside him and help him carry the youth and it's important for uh if there's any man in the ministry or any man within the church it's important that we come come alongside of Joel if we have an opportunity because a lot of our youth um, within the community, mentorship's important. And to be able to live in a Christ-like manner in front of some of these youth, it, that's the only Christ that they're going to get. So to be able to carry yourself in a, in a certain way, because you don't never know when somebody's watching you. I mean, so... To carry yourself in such a manner to, to pour some time into that and into them, you know, they realize that and they, and, and they appreciate that a whole lot more than you'll ever know. So um, hats off to Jacob and to keep him lifted up in prayer because I'm sure with him doing a work for the Lord and he's going to come under attack. So keep him lifted up. That's true, B. We've seen that. Me and you seen that, how the kids out here, when they come out here, how they receive us and how they... When they go back, you hear them talking, and you meet them in the street, and they're so happy to see us and everything like that, and you just come up and hug you, and they, they're thankful, man. I mean, they don't get that at home. Anybody else? Oh, we're going to always pray for you, Miss Ash. Deep depression, well. Trust me, you need to pray for that too because there's a lot of that going around with a lot of people dealing with that and not opening up about those things and such things as that. So let's keep Miss Ashley in our, in our prayers also. But let's go to prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we come to you again, Lord, in your house, Lord, to worship you and to honor you, Lord, and glorify you. We, we lift up these prayer requests, Lord, and petitions before you, Lord. Asking that you honor and grant them, Lord, with your love and your kindness, Lord, and your healing. Lord, we also want to just thank you for this church, Lord, and ask that you keep it and grow, make it grow, Lord, and enlarge it. And we ask that you be with the pastor as he comes to give the word and just open up our hearts and our minds, Lord, to receive from you this day. In Christ's name, amen. Lifting me up from the ground Love is a pain 
Bibles with you. Go ahead and be turning with us to the book of Acts, chapter number 20. Acts, chapter number 20.
I'm, I'm still just overwhelmed um, with this, this thought, this, this feeling um, that David highlights in his own life experience in the Old Testament when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of our God. Boy, it's good to be gathering with God's people. Amen? Amen. I don't know about you, but that excites me. That excites me. We're going to look at um, the early church this morning, in particular, the Apostle Paul at the church at Troas with his traveling mission team. I want to make a couple of announcements um, before we read our text this morning. Uh, Easter Sunday, um, we'll have an outdoor service um, out here in, in the field beside of the church. We'll set the stage up right here at the end of the building and have a drive-in service. Um, we'll certainly be asking for volunteers to help park cars and set up and tear down um, just looking at what God might do, not only in our church, but in our community um, during our celebration of the resurrection um, this Easter Sunday morning. Uh, you can get with um, me to volunteer. We'll put out some sign-up sheets, be getting them out next week. Um, so we are preparing for that. Still, still not certain. Um, we have considered doing a meal. We have some hesitancy um, in, in regards to um, the, the, the planned demic. Um, if, j just, just by way of show of hands, um, are, are you definitely it would be outside. Um, our thought is, is that we won't have Everybody, like we usually do, bringing in food, uh, but rather we'll um, have it catered and a few people um, actually serving the food and do everything outside. If you're comfortable with that, would you just uh, raise your hand? Just give me an idea. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so, so that's going to be the plan. We'll, we'll get to work on it. Um, also... Um, you, you can't, you can't top Easter. I mean, that's, that's my favorite time of the year is the celebration of resurrection between it and Christmas is a toss up. But, uh, if he'd have only came and wouldn't have died and been buried and rose again, then he'd have been just an ordinary man. But hallelujah, there's a grave in Jerusalem that's empty. Amen. Amen. But in May, uh, we're still trying to confirm the date, probably looking at the first week in May, um, maybe the second week, but you be praying with us now. I hope to confirm that date uh, this afternoon or no later than tomorrow, but we will be having revival here at the church. Uh, let, let me rephrase that. We're going to have Brother Shane Jackson, um, who was with us last Mother's Day, most of you um, Got to meet Shane and his family then. Um, we're going to have him here um, at least Sunday through Wednesday of that week. Whether or not we'll have revival isn't really up to Shane because he can't pack it up and bring it with him. Right. Um, you, you can't carry revival in a suitcase. Right. 
Um, you can't preach up a revival. The psalmist prayed, Lord, will thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee? And so according to the psalmist, revival begins with prayer. And that prayer will lead to a repentance. And repentance is always, always the preemptive action of God's people that opens up the opportunity for God to send revival. So I want you to be praying with me um, that we will have more than just a series of meetings, uh, but that we will truly experience between now and then even uh, a revival in each of our souls. The book of Acts, chapter number 20, we'll begin reading in verse number 1 and read down to about verse number 12. <clears throat> the Bible says in verse number 1, And after the uproar was ceased, boy, ain't it time for the uproar to cease. Amen. <laughs> and after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them. And departed for to go into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there abode three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, don't, don't miss that. They're, they're, they're laying in wait to kill Paul um, for preaching the gospel. As he was about to sail to Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secondus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These going before tarried for us at Troas. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them at Troas. In five days, where we abode seven days. We'll come back to that. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them ready to depart on the morrow, <clears throat> and continued his speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, to be able to, to gather with the family of God, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we're thankful today that 
You inspired this word. You preserved it. Made it available to us this morning. And God, we don't take it lightly that we're a privileged people. Able to gather in a place like this, with people like this, for this purpose. Because you have given us a country where we remain free to do so. We thank you for the soldiers, the men and the women that risk and even give their lives to protect the freedoms that we so joy as American Christians today. And Lord, we see our freedoms being threatened. But we know that you are a victorious God. That nothing is beyond your ability. And Father, we pray that this morning as we open up this word that you would be pleased to challenge us with it. Change us. Help us to become more like Jesus this morning than what we were yesterday. In his name we pray. Amen. I remember as a young boy having the opportunity to go with my dad and my uncle to Bristol Drag Strip. I don't remember, maybe I was 10 or 12 years old, and that might not be a big deal to you, but for a 10 or 12-year-old boy to see them dragsters was a big deal to me. And the thing that I probably remember most about the whole trip was that during one race, this man pulls his car up to the line and he sits there and he revs and revs and revs and does his burnout and then he backs up and he sits there and revs and revs and revs and the light changes and his car exploded. Just burn it all up before he ever even got across the starting line. And I share that because it's reminiscent or maybe even reflective of the condition of many churches today. That we make a lot of noise on Sunday morning. But when it comes time to cross the starting line, to put the rubber to the road in real life, I wonder if we're really making headway, gaining ground. Or are we just sitting there making a lot of noise? I'm particularly challenged from this text this morning, personally challenged, and challenged for each of us. And, and I hope that God will use this text today to challenge each and every one of us. There's three challenges that I want to focus our attention on this morning from this text, and that is... Paul's commitment 
and his church's commitment to the gospel should challenge our commitment to the gospel. We see that in the first six verses of our text. We won't go back and read them all now, but if you were to to underline the names listed in verses 4 through 6, you'll find that there are seven names there. And then there's also the Apostle Paul who is not named. And Luke is penning this letter and he says, we, he and Paul, sailed to Troas. So you have nine men. Nine men. And according to verse number six, we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode seven. I've often encouraged you, don't look over any words in the text, even those that seem like they might not be significant or imperative or God would not have put them there. So God wants us to understand that there were nine men who traveled five days to minister for seven days. Five men left their businesses, their families, their employment, their responsibilities at home to make a five-day journey and to minister in the city of Troas for seven days. So all in all, they've committed to a 12-day missionary trip. Now, if you consider their leader, the Apostle Paul, why don't you do this with me? Take and, and hold your place right there in chapter number 20 and turn back to chapter number 13 of the book of Acts. And, and just hold that there in your hand. And, and then... With your left hand, turn back to Acts chapter number 9. Once you found it, if you'll, if you'll look at me, here in Acts chapter number 9, Jesus confronts Paul on his way to Damascus. Paul is unsaved, an enemy not only of the church, but of Christ. He has a radical encounter with the Lord Jesus. He's born again, saved from his sin, given a brand new life and a brand new mission. And then from chapter number 9 to chapter number 13... Paul disappears. But just because you don't see him don't mean he wasn't doing anything. In fact, we learn in the book of Galatians from chapter number 9 
to chapter number 13, Paul was in Arabia in the desert in Bible college with the Lord Jesus. Talk about a seminary degree. We have a school back home called the Master's Academy. Paul was really in the Master's Academy. He sat at the feet of Jesus and studied for three years until you get to chapter number 13. And then Paul begins what we call his missionary journeys. We know that there were three of them and maybe possibly a fourth one. What's important to understand is that what you're holding right there between your fingers, 13 through 17, seven, eight chapters of Scripture represents 10 to 10 and a half years of the Apostle Paul's life as recorded in Scripture. In that 10 and a half years, Paul either walked or sailed more than 10,000 miles to carry the gospel. No airplanes, no tour buses, no escalades, 10,000 miles in roughly between 8 and 10 years. Imagine the level of commitment it required for Paul not only to travel that distance, but in that time, Miss Susan, he planted at least 14 churches. Ten years. He's planted 14 churches and moved the gospel across three continents. Wow. I don't know about you, but that challenges me. When it comes to our faithfulness and our commitment to making the gospel known. You see, this wasn't just Paul and these nine ministry companions of his responsibility. When Jesus left this world, he left the entire church with these words. Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe or to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you until the end of the world. That is the purpose of the church. That's why Paul planted 14 churches in a 10-year period was that they would be churches that would get the gospel out not only in their own community, but around the globe. How many of you understand 
that in order to get the gospel around the globe, you've got to first be able to get it across the street. You've got to first be able to share it with the person working beside of you or sitting in a restaurant with you or that's communicating with you online. We have more tools than the Apostle Paul ever dreamed of. I wonder what Paul might have accomplished if he had Facebook. God has given us every opportunity to make the gospel known. And, and if I'm honest with you, I'm deeply convicted when I read about these men like the Apostle Paul who made it their life's mission to make the gospel known. 10,000 miles in a 10-year period. Hey, could I ask you something? How many miles did you put on your car last year for the purpose of making the gospel known? You know, I looked at my odometer just, just to see how many miles was on my old wore-out truck. And there's a little over 300,000 miles on my truck. And, and when I consider how many of those miles have been for the sole purpose of making the gospel known, I have to say that I've probably spent more miles on my truck traveling for my own purposes and plans. How about you? Now, listen. It is everybody's responsibility. It's everybody's privilege to share the gospel. I wonder if we grasp the reality of the fact that when you share the gospel with someone and they accept Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, God has used you to change what heaven's going to be like. Hallelujah. Paul was, Paul was sold out to the gospel and, and, and it should challenge us. Now... I know that we're living in, in a new day and a modern age. And, and I know that we're living in a time where people are becoming more hostile to the gospel. Let's face it, it's, it's, it's true. It's, it's a reality. But did you notice that the text began... In verse number one, and after the uproar ceased. And the Jews were laying in wait. Because a riot had broken out in Ephesus. The religious crowd, not secular society, the religious crowd wanted to kill Paul. Because he was sharing the gospel. But it didn't stop him. He just went to another city and kept right on preaching the gospel. And, and you know, we're living in a time 
where keeping your job seems to mean more than where people's going to spend eternity. We're living in a time where Christians are more concerned about being acceptable than they are being controversial. Oh, I don't want to stir up any controversy. The gospel is controversial. Paul says, wherein lies the offense of the cross? There is no more offensive message than the message of the cross. And yet that is what God has planted our church in this community to do is to spread the gospel. And, and, and I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, man. I've been, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what have we been involved in since we planted this church to make the gospel known, not only here in Brunswick County, certainly we're going to do that, but, but have we been, are we going to be actively engaged in moving the message that Jesus saves around the globe? And, and I was thinking along those lines and what God has allowed us the privilege of being a part of. We have been privileged to partner with the planting of the Barn Fellowship Christian Church in Ellenboro, North Carolina. We were privileged to partner with the planting of New Beginnings Church in Lugolf, South Carolina. God allowed us to partner with the Malek family in sending them to Peru to plant a church there in Peru. We were able to partner with Lake Lure Baptist Church in Lake Lure, North Carolina on two different building projects there that they might make the gospel known in the Lake Lure community. We had the privilege of pouring concrete in Butler, Pennsylvania for a youth ministry called Fishbone Youth Ministry, an inner city youth ministry that started with a box of sidewalk chalk. And now they have probably, I'm just guessing, a hundred or better children from, from kindergarten on up through high school there every week. And they're ministering to them. And, and li listen, here's what I want to get to. It doesn't take an abundance. That ministry began with one man and one woman and a box of sidewalk chalk where they wrote scriptures on the sidewalk and began teaching children the Bible. So, so God, has, God has allowed us to, 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 to partner with, with several different ministries and, and plant churches in several different areas. But, but while I, I am so grateful and so glad about what God has allowed us to be a part of, I'm also convicted and concerned that we've circled the wagons. I fear that for the last couple of years, we've been more inwardly focused than we have outwardly focused. This is no time to be circling the wagons. I really believe that time is short. 
I really believe that if you study Matthew chapter number 24 and look at the signs of the times and what Jesus said this world was going to be like right before he returned, we're looking, we're on the brink of eternity. It's no time to be circling the wagons. Too many people need to hear the gospel. I hope that we're challenged by the Apostle Paul. In regards to elevating our commitment to the gospel. Secondly, this isn't as much for those who are here, those who aren't here. I hope that we, we, we take away from this text a challenge or a commitment not only to the gospel outside, but a gathering on the inside. That is the gathering of the church. Notice in verse number 7, the Bible says, remember every word, every phrase, every punctuation even is imperative. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, well, that's what disciples are supposed to do on the first day of the week. The word church is literally in the, the Greek ecclesia. And it literally means called out ones or a called out assembly. A, a, a gathering of those that God has called out of the world and into his kingdom. To say that you need church isn't just unbiblical, it's sinful. I'm a firm believer that when Paul said in Hebrews chapter number 10, he, he begins this discourse in, in, in really verse number um, 23. Listen, Paul says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. That's what somebody does when I got saved, everybody doesn't get saved in a church. Some folks get saved in restaurants. Hallelujah. But, but I got saved in a church. And, and when I got saved in the church, I came down to the altar. And I believe I was saved before I ever got out of the pew that I was sitting in. God, God done something in me that day. But I came down to the altar and... And the, the, the pastor led me in a prayer of repentance and declaring my faith in Christ. And then he turned me, turned me around and he told the whole church I got born again. And that was the profession of my faith. And then probably the next week, I don't remember for sure, maybe the next week I got baptized in the baptistry. That, that was the, the public profession of my faith. Didn't know sin get washed off in the baptistry. That happened right there. Actually, that happened on the cross. But, but it was essential and necessary and biblical for me to make a public profession of my faith before the people of God. Because Jesus said... If you profess me before men or confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. 
But if you deny me before men, then I will deny you before my Father which is in heaven. So I made my public profession of faith. But Paul says in Hebrews chapter number 10, you need to hold on to that. You need to cling to your public profession of faith. You, you, you need to hold on to it. Listen to me. Because the enemy is going to try to take it away from you. So, so we're, to, we're to hold dear, cling on to our profession of faith. And then he begins giving us instructions on how to do that, how to, how to cling to, how to hold on to that that we profess. Now, now let's be clear right here. I'm going to heaven regardless of what you think. Amen. Not based on what I'm doing, but on what Christ has done. Amen. Not based on the fact that I'm holding on to him, but he's holding on to me. Amen. I'm glad his grip's better than mine is, ain't you? But nevertheless, Paul says, we need to hold on, cling on to our profession of faith. And this is how you do it. Let us consider one another. You see, when you got saved, your life became about somebody else besides yourself. Let us, you might not need to be here, but I need you here. And there's people sitting beside of you that need you here. So he says, let us think about one another and provoke unto love and to good works. We're, in, we're to come to church to encourage one another to love each other. Isn't it amazing that we need help with that? So you see, some people ain't easy to love. Some Christians ain't even easy to love. And so, so we, we come and encourage, we provoke one another to love each other and to good works. Did you know God's got a work for you to do? God has a work for each and every person that's in the family of God. And then he says this, not forsaking the assembling, what is ecclesia? A called out assembly. What did they do on the Lord's day? They came together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves as the manner of some is. Boy, I know some some is. Come on. I'm just going to be, I, listen, I'm not pulling no punches this morning. This is serious business, and you're going to see why here in just a second. Gathering with the people of God is imperative. It's imperative. It's where we learn to love each other. It's where we, we learn to and are able to do a work for God that God has created us for. But exhorting one another, encouraging one another, and listen to this, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know what that means? Go back to Matthew chapter number 24 and 25. And as you see... The signs of the times becoming a reality in your daily life. That ain't no time to circle the wagons. That's time to get back in the church. When you see the, the famines and the plague, when you see the famines and the plagues and the natural disasters that are taught in 
by Jesus in Matthew chapter number 24, Paul, said, Paul says, man, that's when you need to be in church. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Boy, when Jesus comes back, wouldn't it be good if he come back on a Sunday morning? Amen. Well, it would be if he was in church. <laughs> come on. Now, I'm not going to say because you stay home, you're going to get left behind. But if the Lord comes back on a Sunday morning at 1130, I want to be in the pulpit. If he comes back at 530 in the evening, I want to still be in the pulpit. We're going to get there in just a minute. About three of you caught that just right over everybody else's head. Listen, don't break the context of this text in Hebrews. Why? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Why? Well, Paul answers why. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice. Don't break the context. Paul's not jumped off into another subject. He's saying there is an opportunity for people who have professed Christ to turn back and to start sinning willfully. So don't stop going to church. Why? Because if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. How many of you know when Jesus comes back, he's not going to the cross again? Amen. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. In other words, there's judgment, there's consequence for turning away from the knowledge of the truth and backsliding into sin. By the way, sin's a slippery slope. And it slides into judgment in verse 27, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised the law of Moses died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye should be thought, should he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath Done, listen, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Did you know that the grace that saves you from sin will enable to you to live apart from the sin that you've been saved from? The, the grace that saves you, sanctifies you, sets you apart, stimulates you to live in a way that's pleasing and acceptable to God. And Paul says there's a price to be paid to make a profession of faith and then live your life despite the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of grace. Well, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I sure am glad God's given me another spirit. Given me His Spirit. 
Now, that gets uncomfortable sometimes. Amen. Because the Spirit of grace not only regenerates, gives you a new heart, not only gives you a, a, a place in the family of God, but he teaches you to live your life in a way that's pleasing to God. We call it old-time, old-fashioned conviction. I, I know that's a, a word we don't use a whole lot in modern-day church anymore, but it still works. And, and I'm glad that when I start to slip, he begins to prick. When, when I get off course, he'll redirect. Aren't you glad that there is that still small voice of the Spirit of God that will bring Scripture to your remembrance when you're stepping outside? Amen. Oh, I know I'm not the only one in here that the Spirit of grace has to help out every now and again. Now, he, he goes on and he says, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, listen to this. The Lord shall judge the lost. Is that what your Bible said? The Lord shall judge sinners and pagans. And No, 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 no. Mine says his people. Be careful that you don't live your life despising the spirit of grace. Slipping down that slippery slope of sin because God will judge his people. I, I cringe when I hear people say, God took me to the woodshed. My daddy never done nothing to me in the woodshed that compares to the Spirit of God convicting me when I'm outside of his good and perfect will. The Bible says that God chastises those whom he loves. Why? Because that's what a loving father does. But you don't want to be on the receiving end of God's chastisement. You know what we're seeing and experiencing? Maybe like we never have as long as I've been in ministry. Is we're seeing people drift away from the church. And as they drift away from the church, they drift right into the sin that God saved them out of. Here's, here's, here's what rips my heart out as their shepherd and pastor. Is I know that they're headed on a collision course with the judgment of God. God will chastise them. If they truly belong to Him, there's a price to be paid for disobedience. So, so why did Paul link this judgment with not forsaking the assembling of yourself? Can, can I say this? Coming to church is preventative maintenance. I need church because I'm a bad boy. Come on. Hey, see, some of you's problem is you think you ain't. 
Paul said, there is no good thing that dwelleth in me that is in my flesh. In my flesh, I'm rotten to the core. And if I'm not feeding my, if I'm not feeding my spirit, I'm feeding my flesh. If it appeals to the flesh, by the way, it's of the flesh. And it will produce nothing but flesh. And, and it's alarming. It's alarming at the time that we find ourselves living in. That people are flocking, fleeing away from the place where they're prepared to combat their own flesh and their own temptation and their own sinful appetites. Paul says, man, we we need this stuff. Could could I suggest to you, you're not going to learn to combat sin in your own flesh out in the world anywhere. There's no other place like the church, the family of God. We should commit ourselves. You say, where where do you see all of that commitment at? Well, notice with me in verse 7. And upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together. They came together according to the text for a couple of reasons. Number one, to break bread. Now, that can be translated... In, in two different ways, and both are incorporated in what was taking place there on the first day of the week. One, they would have been having communion. They would have been having, um, doing this in remembrance of me as they broke bread and as they drank wine, representing the blood that he shed that cleanses us from our sin. And, and, and that's where we gather in the church. We call it the Lord's Supper or communion. But secondly, and I believe as significant even, it was not only a, a time to come together and have communion, but it was a time to come together with community. Notice the Bible says they came together. Michael, I believe that means so much more than just showing up at the same church. No, that's where they came together. There wasn't this click in that crowd. They came together. There wasn't the hierarchy of class, culture, economics, education. No, they came together. Together, because you see, at the foot of the cross, it's level ground. And they came together, listen, as the family of God. Not not because, not out of obligation, Bill, I believe just because they loved each other. They wanted to be together. So, So, first, the breaking of bread, and then notice. The preaching. Can't can't get away from the preaching. I really love this passage of scripture. Because the Bible says. Verse 7. Paul preached unto them. Ready to depart on the morrow. In in essence. Now Paul's fixing to leave Troas. and, And go about his missionary journey. He's preaching to them. Like he might not ever have the opportunity. To preach to them again. And, and listen to me, I believe any pastor, any preacher worth his salt will preach like it's the last message he's ever going to be able to preach. Yeah. 
He preached with, with a, a, a passion because he knew he might not make it. To, they just wanted to kill him in Ephesus, and he might not be able to come back to Troas. So what he needed to get said, he was going to say. So he preached because he was departing, or as he was departing. And then notice in verse number 9, Boy, y'all really going to hate me. And there sat in a window a certain man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. <laughs> Listen, and Paul didn't stop preaching. In fact, it says, and Paul was long preaching. We got a word for that in our modern day times, long-winded preacher. I get called that from time to time. He sunk down with sleep and fell down. Go down to verse number 11. And when therefore come up, and he therefore come up again, this is Paul, and had broken bread and eaten and talked. Now there was an interruption between the verses. Paul goes downstairs. He comes back up, has lunch, and starts preaching or dinner his midnight snack, and starts preaching again a long while. Boy, I'm really liking this text. <laughs> Listen to this. Even till break of day. Now, we don't know what time he started. We just know that he preached to midnight before they started falling out the windows. <laughs> and then he goes downstairs. He comes back up. He has his midnight snack and he preaches from midnight till in the morning break of day. Six more hours. And y'all think I'm long. Come on now, listen to me. Hang with me, I ain't done yet. Paul didn't say this is point number one and then an hour later this is point number two and an hour later this is point number three. And the one all y'all are waiting on, and finally, four or five times, Paul didn't say that. Paul preached, and he wasn't concerned about the time. Why was he not concerned about the time? Because I imagine there was some Baptists there. I don't guess you can wear an hourglass on your wristwatch, can you? Or a sundial, maybe. I, I, I can see some sitting there, they're getting antsy. About 30 minutes in, buffet's going to close, Paul. You need to hurry up. Why, why did he preach? Why was he so persistent? Why did he just keep preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching? Could I say this? I believe because he had something to say. And it wasn't what he had to say in and of himself. He had spent three years in the desert with Jesus. He had a word from God. Listen to me. I, I don't mind. I, I'm telling you, really, I can sit to midnight. I can sit to 6 o'clock in the morning as long as the preacher has got something to say. Far too many preachers ain't got nothing to say. They should have been done in 10 minutes because they ain't spent no time with Jesus. But friend, listen to me. God help me. I'm going to spend time with Jesus. 
So when we come to this place, we've got something to say that matters and that'll change lives. And he was long preaching. And here's what encourages me. And the church hung in there with him. Hallelujah. I don't read nowhere anybody got up and walked out. Wouldn't you like to have been sitting under that sermon to hear Paul preach for six, maybe 12 hours? And I don't believe he ever run out of breath. He had something to say, and I almost, Billy, I almost imagine, uh, imagine, imagine people are like this. They're glued to Paul because what Paul is saying is not the words of Paul. It's the word of God being expounded. People are understanding what the Bible says, and they're excited to be there, and so they stayed. Now, the Bible says there was a young man sitting in a window. Now, that tells me two things. Actually, a a few things. One, there wasn't no glass on the window. Because there's oil lamps burning on the inside to light the building. They needed the windows open where the fumes would go out. So, so think about this for just a minute. We don't know if it's wintertime or summertime. What we do know is they don't have central heat and air. The building's so full of smoke. This dude passes out and falls out the window. And they still didn't go home. And we're living in a time where if the thermostat's not just right, somebody's got to complain about it. Come on. If it's wintertime outside and it's a little chilly in the building, can't put a coat on, got to stop coming. Come on. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm trying to help you here. They were committed. Not only were they committed to be there themselves, Bill, they brought their children with them. The Bible says young man, probably a young boy, maybe even a youth. How many grown-ups you know are going to sit up in the window during church service? No, I, I can picture a teenager doing that, can't you? And I can also see a crowd in the church, somebody looking over at somebody else, that parent ought to get that young and out of that window. Come on. Because there's always that one that's got something, got to find something negative, something wrong. This kid said, now, now let me just jump in right here and say when you bring your children and your grandchildren, watch them. Come on. He did fall out and got killed. Take care of them. But boy, it sure is encouraging to me that they didn't send him off back into a youth room somewhere. No, he was able to understand the word and his parents wanted him under the word. And and listen to me, when they can understand, they need to be under the word. And so he falls out the window. Which brings me to my final point. Wow, I ain't near long enough. (laughs) He falls out the window. And Paul stops. He's not finished. But he takes a break. 
And, and, and I think that this should say something. It should challenge each of us to be more compassionate toward those we are gathering with. Could Paul not have sent somebody else to take care of this kid? But that's not what he done. He stopped preaching. And he went down three flights of stairs and embraces this child, this teenager. Could, could, could I just say for a moment, we got some teenagers in our community just need somebody to love on them. Paul embraced him. He had compassion, I believe, not only on the young boy, but I believe the miracle was more for the people around. Because the Bible says, and they were not a little comforted because Paul told them he's not dead no more. God specializes in the business of breaking up funerals. His life is in him, Paul says. And the text says that not the boy, but the crowd had great comfort in that. Let me translate that another way. They had Holy Ghost revival. Go back to the scene, if you will. Picture the teenager laying on the ground dead. Have you ever seen it? Nothing will rock your world like seeing somebody die before their time. And so this crowd standing around, and I'm imagining there's not a dry in the place. Man, they were shouting it out a while ago in the church. But now somebody's baby is laying on the ground dead. And then they see this resurrection. And I, I can imagine it was more than they just sit there and was comforted. Can you imagine being that mom and that dad that saw their, your, your son laying on the ground dead and the next minute he's up walking around and breathing and ready to go back in the church. I imagine they're shouting the victory around that place, man. I imagine that there is a spirit-led, spirit-filled Holy Ghost revival going on in Troas because God is in the resurrection business. So we should challenge us in, in our compassion to others, why, why do we, why, Billy, why do we feed kids hot dogs? Why, why, did, why did ladies in this church this week uh, pack lunches for Joel's basketball players to, to take down to Myrtle Beach and eat somewhere today instead of them being in church because we're more interested in their resurrection than we are them being here? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Two more things and I'm finished. It should challenge us not only in our compassion to those that we're gathered with, but it should challenge us in our giving. Do you, do you realize, do you really understand that if you're a Christian today, you're alive when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. When God came to you in your lostness, 
You were as graveyard dead spiritually as that boy was laying outside of the church. Now, I know some of the liberal theologians believe he had carbon monoxide poisoning and he passed out and fell out the window and just looked like he was dead. Can I remind you that the man that God is using to write this book was a doctor? And he declared him, signed his death certificate in the word of God and said he was dead. But he came back to life. And how we ought to celebrate the resurrection of Christ and our own personal resurrection that when you were dead, now you're alive again. When you were blind, now you see. The church ought to be challenged in our commitment to, to giving God glory for doing what we could not do for ourselves. But while we're talking about giving, I like preaching on giving. I, I used to didn't like it too much. I, I like it now because the Bible's so full of it. Do you know what Paul's doing apart from planting churches on this missionary journey? The home church, the mother church, the church at Jerusalem is suffering severe persecution and severe poverty. So Paul is, this is his third missionary journey. He's going back to churches that he planted on his first and second missionary journey, and he's taking up an offering. And he's going to take that offering back to the struggling church in Jerusalem. Now, these people, Paul's expecting of God's requiring of them that they're going to give beyond themselves. You know what I've learned? It's easy to get people to give to a project at your church. If, if, if we've ever needed anything, when our air conditioner did break and we needed several thousand dollars to pay for it, all we had to do was announce it and people come together and pay for it. But listen, they're never going to see the results of this money. They're just giving it because they know that there's a struggling church full of people that they've never met before. And, and friends, I want to suggest to you that we're living in a time when churches are struggling. We have been blessed beyond measure by God through you in that we've not suffered financially through this whole COVID crisis pandemic thing. We have been blessed. But there are churches that are literally about to close their doors because they're struggling financially. And, and, and I'm challenged from this text that if we only take care of our part, then we're not serving the greater good. Boy, I'm, I'm glad for the opportunities. Aren't you that God has given us to partner with churches like Lake Lower Baptist Church and the Barn Christian Fellowship and New Beginnings Church and the Youth Ministry in Butler and, and out in Peru? But, 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 but listen, there's opportunities all around us. And, and I'm imagining these are young churches. We're really a young church when you think about it. These are young churches. And I'm satisfied, Miss Natalie, they don't got a whole lot of money. I mean, they're not loaded, you know. But, but each member 
done their part in their church. And then each of the 14 churches that Paul goes to, they do their part. And by the time that God gives to the increase to their good stewardship, it gets back to Jerusalem and it's enough. That's the way God works. And, and, and so I, I want to I challenge us this morning, not only in, in the area of church planting, but do you know why churches are struggling? Because people are struggling. The church isn't the building. I, I, I really, I, I couldn't care about this building. If we have to meet in the field from now on, I'm okay with that. The, 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 the church is struggling because it's made up of people who are struggling. And so I want to challenge you and, and myself. Listen, I'm, I'm not beyond this challenge that this week, look beyond yourself. Look beyond the walls of, of, of our immediate church context. And I'll promise you, if you'll look long enough and hard enough, you'll find somebody that you can help. It might be a dollar or twenty dollars. If you Ian and got all the money he's got, it might be a million dollars you can give to somebody. But I'll promise you, listen, the Bible says, let each man give as, it, as he purposes in his heart. And if God puts a purpose in your heart, the dollar amount don't matter. Because what he puts there, what he purposes you to do, it'll be enough. Amen? Would you, we're we're going to close a little bit different this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? And, and, and I want to pray with you, but I want to challenge you. That in this time of prayer, that you would make some commitments to God. One, that you would recommit to the gospel. To carrying it further than you've ever carried it before. Number two, that we would recommit to, to gathering. And, and listen, I'm not just talking about under a church building. I'm, I'm talking about coming. They came together. They came together as the family of God. Re, re, recommit to that this morning. No, number three, recommit to giving. Whether it be giving to those living in poverty, giving to a, a church ministry, but ultimately... Giving to the glory of God. Remember, you were dead. And now you're alive. You were destined to spend eternity in hell, separated from God. And now you have a home in heaven. Because God specializes in resurrecting the dead. Father, we come to you this morning. And God, we know that any commitment that we make is just empty words apart from your grace. God, we need your grace to breathe. We, we need your grace to even get out of the bed in the morning. And so, Father, we pray that by your grace, you stimulate us, encourage us to be about our Father's business. Father, we pray that as we make these commitments here today, help us to recognize and realize the significance and the seriousness 
that your word declares it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not keep it. And so, Father, we need your sustaining grace. God, we know that as soon as we make commitments to you, the enemy will hit us head on. He'll challenge us in every way, shape, and form. But we also know that greater, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so, Father, we pray that you sustain us and help us to make a greater impact for your kingdom. Help us to honor Christ in greater ways than we ever have. We pray, Lord, that we'd never come into this church and fail to give you the worship and the glory that you're so worthy of. We thank you for vision and their leadership in worship. But God, we all want to be worshipers. Father, we confess to you this morning that while it's uncomfortable to talk about and even admit, Lord, we need revival. We, we need it as a church corporately, but, but God, we know that will only happen if we experience it individually and personally. So God, we pray this morning, will thou not revive me that I might rejoice in thee. May revival begin in each of our own hearts and become infectious in the church and extend out into our community. We love you today. Lord, we're mindful of Eutychus this morning and the miracle that you worked in his life. God, we know that his name means fortunate one. And we just confess to you today that we are the fortunate ones. And we're so grateful to be able to say that. Lord, as we stand to our feet and begin to walk out these doors, I pray that we will carry your words with us in our heart. That it would literally change the way that we live. The way that we relate to one another and the community that you've placed us in. Show us, God, how. How we can be more effective at sharing the gospel. At seeing people saved. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. amen. And amen.